Enterprise Influencers, Perspectives from Technology Leaders. And welcome to Enterprise Influencers. Today I have Storm Anderson from Kulo Partners, and I've got my co-founder of the podcast, Patrick. Do you want to lead us in? Yeah. Hey. Absolutely. Welcome to Enterprise Influencers, everybody. I am super excited to be talking today with Storm Anderson. Storm is a founding partner of Kumu Partners, which is a very cool company doing a lot of great work in the citizen dev power platform space. And I'm particularly proud to be standing here today because I have been able to work with Storm in the past at some previous employer of ours, a mutual previous employer. And so I've been able to see Storm kind of grow up into not just a really great consultant and resource on our projects, but now a businessman, a founding partner of great Microsoft partner in the power platform and low code, no code citizen dev space. So. Welcome Storm with all that pomp and circumstance. And just to clarify before we get started, you are not in fact a X-Man, is that correct? <laughs> I was gonna say, we can't go on without at least one or two uh, Storm name jokes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. I'm not Halle Berry, unfortunately, but I like to think sometimes I can envision her spirit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And on the weekends, that's, that's a weekend. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about yourself, Storm, and, and tell us about Kumu Partners. Yeah, thank you, Patrick Giles. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be on with you guys. Yeah, it's funny coming from when we knew each other, Patrick, I was doing SharePoint migrations and all those kind of old, very exciting kind of projects. And so it's been fun, the transition of when I was working with you, working in that space, a little more of moving on-premise to cloud and really just the shift. And now with Kumo Partners, it's been a lot of fun because we're really focused on the low code automation. All of these things that we moved people over for, now we're really starting to get a, get a chance to work with these tools, especially on the Power Platform space. That's really our focus. I've been working on Office 365 still. So we started as three partners. We uh, we all kind of jumped ship from that prior organization of ours. But uh, we don't need to get too much into that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very mutual or very nice. You saw a market opportunity and you took it. That's exactly. how. Exactly. <laughs> we were working out of abandoned office in uh, Ethan's building for a while. We were doing some work there, and then uh, we've just been able to get our feet under ourselves, get some people hired, and now we have a nice, growing sized team. So that's awesome. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been a wild ride since we jumped, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Amazing. Awesome. We're here to talk about citizen dev and, and there are a number of citizen dev sort of platforms, but I guess just to, for our listeners, right? Like what, when we talk about citizen dev, like, what do we mean by that? What do, what do we define as a citizen dev? And like, how do you, def, how do you compare that to, let's say someone who's a professional developer? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And we, when we're talking with clients, I think that's one of the exciting opportunities is what does this citizen development mean? What's the opportunity of that? Can I turn every one of my employees into a citizen developer? Some of these are going through their minds. And so I think it's interesting because with a professional developer, you're really working, I think, from a technical foundation. You're really building things from the ground up, more from an engineering architecture sense, generally speaking. I think the excitement and the opportunity of a citizen developer is uh, 
even what got me in school, I was really big into Excel. And so I really could do the business logic, the thinking through from what the business value standpoints without the technical side. But the only tool I could express that in was Excel and some of the logic and reports and things I could do there. And so I think that's a good metaphor for maybe what the citizen developer represents is someone that can really think through the business, understands the value chain, the processes that they need to oversee. And now they actually have some tools that don't require learning how to install NPM. You have to go through understanding JavaScript and libraries and how do you incorporate all that. Now there's some tools that are very Excel that can get you halfway there, if not even farther. And so I think it's that opportunity of using those tools. It really kind of opens the door for anyone to be a citizen dev, but I'll, uh, I'll put some asterisks at the end of that as well. So it, there's some gray areas for sure. Yeah. That puts a very interesting kind of view on it. I've certainly worked in kind of citizen dev modes and stuff like that. I've worked with professional developers, but one of the hardest thing to convey when you're working with professional developers is to actually get what the requirement is and the meeting across and the whole meaning of what you're trying to do across. Of course, if you are the developer as well as the one kind of doing the process, it's all ingrained, right? Yep. Yeah, it's that chasm between business and IT that every business school talks about, everyone always talks about. And then there's the citizen dev, dev that it almost brings the two hills together so you could almost stand on both sides, but it definitely makes it shorter, the gap in between, I definitely think, yeah. Which then increases the productivity, you get it up and running probably quicker as a result. I guess if you look at it from the money point of view, probably cheaper as a result as well, because it's less people and things like that. It's you can see how it's going and rising for sure. Yeah, yeah, and some of the tooling really, the licensing for getting these things up and running. You're not setting up a server now. And again, going through when I was doing more development work, I think setting up libraries was just always the one thing. I could build the nicest, coolest, cleanest UIs, but as soon as you told me to deploy something or get connected to GitHub, that's where I hit my line in the rabbit hole where some certainly people go deeper, but yeah, it's now, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about how do I deploy this app? How do I, there's still some implications with more critical things, of course, but for someone who just wants to spin up a basic mobile app that submits data to SharePoint, you could do that in five minutes now. And that's something that was just never achievable before roughly the last five to 10 years and really mature now, certainly in the last four years. Yeah. Yeah, that that maturity is what I'm where I'm interested in maybe diving in a little bit. So I'm really curious, like what you're seeing people do with these platforms, because while well, all of us have been in situations where we worked with tools like SharePoint, probably you mentioned Excel, Access Databases. There's all these this promise of sort of low code, no code, drag and drop has been there for. Oh, 20 years plus. And I, and I think personally, I think you're right. Like we're really getting into some maturity of the technologies in the space, but uh, just to play devil's advocate, let's, how do we convince our listeners, right? What are things that people can do? What are some of the, well, maybe the boundaries, like where do we beat our head against the wall? And, and now we need to go hire a dev because we hit the limits of the technology. Yeah. And that's, we're seeing that a lot, especially in some of our more enterprise type clients where. They're, they're almost coming in from a few ways where there's the situation where we're talking with them and then they come up and say, Hey, I found out people are building apps and workflows out there. And I had no idea this was happening and it died. Right. Yep. So then there's, it's a little retroactive, but there's some, there's some tooling that we can help with that. But to your point, I think that is a challenge right now is where is that gray line of 
putting that trust responsibility into maybe a business analyst that's gotten really savvy and starting to see some growth and opportunity potential using the tooling? Should they be the one managing something that 200 users connect to every day? And if that goes down, all of a sudden, a major part of the business is starting to actually see some impact. That's definitely the challenge. And I think the capabilities that come in for the citizen developer is really, if I could put the, where's the value of it? I think it's the mm -hmm. ideation. And I think it's this potential of now people have a tool in Excel. I, for me, learning Excel is a blast, but I understand that's probably not the common sense of things out there. But so I think that's where this kind of tooling is. Hey, I can start connecting my email to SharePoint. I can start seeing my email items. I've always wanted to move them into OneDrive. Now there's something that just allows them to do that. And that's not a request to IT to yeah. come up with something to now do something that I don't really know. There's a little bit of that creative space to allow citizens devs citizen developers to play, right? And there's some healthy boundaries you can put on that. And then that's where I think for IT, it's a little bit of this balancing act of giving them some opportunity, giving the broader audience a chance to see what's out there, and then recognizing when something's starting to get significant traction or support. And then that's where you start to have those conversations of, okay, maybe we need to put more stricter boundaries on who can access, or let's at least get this defined, what this is doing, that business analyst leaves, Let's make sure someone else can pick it up now, just in case those 200 people still need to keep using it once that analyst leaves. So uh, yeah, it's so definitely it, a good challenge, yeah. So some of the concepts that our listeners in the enterprise marketplace would be, cons would be conscious of providing governance, putting some guardrails in place. And you guys focus more on the Microsoft platforms, which are the Power Platforms, Power Automate, Power Apps, uh, imagine probably some dynamic stuff and very Power Virtual Agents and there's there's a slew of power everything. So. <laughs> Just slap power yeah. on the front of it and call it a thing, right? Yeah, so, exactly. But there are obviously, not maybe not obvious, but there are capabilities to put guardrails in place. Your users can do some things, maybe they can't do everything. Maybe you don't want them to connect to the enterprise data warehouse, but you're perfectly fine with them connecting to a SharePoint list and collecting data and doing some analysis, building some reports off of that and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's where the data loss prevention policies, yeah, if you're using Power Platform, certainly there's a really strong, uh, uh, there's strong functionality to support how you set those DLP policies up and making sure, like you said, Patrick, all right, let all the citizen devs just connect to SharePoint and Outlook and OneDrive. There's no reason anyone needs to be connecting to Dynamics FNO and bringing right. like financial data in. So let's separate that out. And, that's <laughs> and then potentially sending that financial data out to all of our customers. And yeah, oh, I'm posting this to Twitter and it's actually posting it. Oh, oops. Uh, yeah, that's the well, casual. Well, I think that's what people get nervous about is like you said earlier, right? It's like, oh my goodness, they're building apps, they're building workflows. What are they going to do? I guess there is this in, inherent risk in that, that okay, putting my putting my evil sort of pointy-haired manager hat on, if I put this power into the people's hands, they're going to do something that is bad, inherently bad with it. They're going to exfiltrate some data. They're going to bring some system down. They're going to, I'm going to have a process that is driving potentially revenue that is unsupported or it's supported by Bob in accounting. So, yeah. you know, like, that can be scary. And a citizen dev is not a technical person necessarily, like probably someone who comes from a business background. So they may not be familiar with concepts of like 
testing and quality control and version. Yeah. And yeah. So how, <laughs> how are you like? How are you working with your customers to to handle that sort of stuff, or maybe to help them to put some of those controls in place? Yeah, and I it's, I'll speak to. It broadly, even though within Microsoft, we have a great kind of program that they've set up, templates and things of that sort, something called the Center of Excellence, uh, the yeah. Accelerator Kit there. And so it's nice where they do a lot of the, at least bringing some of these tools and reporting capabilities together, but it still doesn't answer the question. You can set this up and see every single thing that someone's doing. It doesn't mean now all of a sudden it's quote unquote secure or right. set up and really aligned more than anything. And so I think it's a two part where one, especially for that client I mentioned earlier, they're building stuff and I didn't even realize they could do this and you know, what the heck's going on. That's where it's at first, let's get a wrangle on what you want to connect and not connect to. It's some of the first steps of what's critical, what should we consider critical, especially from a data source way of looking at it. And then two, it's really a, an education and nurturing. And I think that's where Center of Excellence and Microsoft Center of Excellence, just in a general practice of things, works really well with this kind of thing because central IT in a lot of situations just doesn't have the manpower to be the one building every single app and workflow that people come up with. So you have to give some of that to really allow that innovation to still be happening organically. But then as you get the more critical things, hopefully through the education, if you have ongoing meetings and ongoing webinars, I can speak to that generally, but also even internal, um, a lot of those things can get a lot of communication out to people that are trying to do those more advanced, more, hey, what can I do? And I, I think that's really a good way to at least start is let's just let people know on an ongoing basis what's changing, what can they do, not do. And we've seen that model work really well because then it's also getting their feedback. You're letting the community start to build itself. And then using Teams, SharePoint, Yammer, pick your poison. You even start to see over time as you get people participating, they even start answering each other's questions. So then the community, we've, I've seen it at every place where you start seeing some people just so excited to participate, they just don't know how to use it or they really want to dig their, their teeth into it, I guess is the phrase, right? When the communities really want to get going and build upon each other. And I, I think that's a really positive thing that helps this whole process is help them help each other as well. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, because I'm curious if you see that evolving organically in organizations where you got a few users who see the power of this platform, not no pun intended, and they get together and start champion, championing, is that, if that's a word, uh, the platform, or do you see actually companies taking a, a, an approach where they're actively seeking to build these sorts of networks internally and drive adoption of these platforms? I've really seen both. And I'd say it's, if you call that a spectrum, I've seen kind of everyone fall in between it where I've seen some large 10,000, 20,000 people organizations, they're incredibly siloed and they don't want any responsibility from the central IT standpoint besides turning the licensing on and then letting the siloed org divisions do their own thing. And so they are just like, hey, we're not doing squat. We'll set up the main DLP policy and then good luck. And then on, and so you see some there where, like you said, there's some more groups that, okay, maybe they're just gonna go buy dynamics and jump down the path that way. Maybe they're building some things, but on the other side of it, I've seen the companies wanna invest in the centralized community model and so they seed it, they get it going. All right, let's get some communication out there. 
let's just build the foundation. And I've seen that help especially accelerate it because then everyone that's in the organization feels like they have a place to go. And so that's where, as long as you, when you start getting those people recognizing like, hey, okay, I have any questions. I saw that news post on that SharePoint site that says Power Platform. Maybe I should go see what else is on there. They're very interested in finding more content, more information. How do I do more? And so I've seen the investment when it is from a central standpoint, really help kickstart the community. And I've also seen them just start on their own and they're saying, screw you, central IT. And they're just fighting their own way through whatever they want to invest in and whatever aligns to their use case too. I've definitely seen both sides. So out of interest then, just to question you a bit further on that then, because yeah. I used to do similar stuff with Patrick a few months ago, I guess, at this point. And uh, the conversation is always about how to do something with the technology. Have you seen, you're much more exposed to this kind of stuff. Have you seen that conversation evolve to what we were talking about earlier? Like now this system is critical. I need to get better support because I can't rely on this one person who built it up not because he's going to go away somewhere, but obviously they've got their own career growth. They built this for a purpose. They probably don't want to support it for the end forever in a day. Have you yep. seen those communities evolve into that more kind of business process, business survival, should we say mindset? Yeah, I've, it's the, I think the larger vision, cause that's the beauty of the roadmap, right? Of always the roadmap, where's that level five end vision. And I think that's really what I've tried to help a lot of clients aim towards. What you notice exactly to what you said though, is you can get citizen dev devs excited. Maybe they built an app that a hundred or so people are using, but when it comes to start getting into that critical line, the support, it's not that they're failing, but I think that's the hardest jump to, or the hardest gap to bridge rather is okay. What, who supports this now? It's running. It's great. It's beautiful. We're getting so much value. How are we going to, what do we do with it next week and next month? And so. I would say that's not to plug my own space, but that's certainly where we've come in a lot is just, sure. all right, we need someone overseeing, let's have some kind of centralized support system, whether it's their own and we're augmenting that, or we've even built support mechanisms within our power apps and that integrates with our support systems. We've seen a lot of opportunity and even just our competitors, a lot of support offerings to just help with these kinds of things, whether it's the critical stuff and we're just completely owning the critical development of some six month project that's going to touch the whole business. Or if it's just, Hey, I have people requesting a lot of workflows, one, two day workflows, and then it's just supporting all the organization to use it without being stuck on having to learn it as well for that matter too. Sure. Makes sense. That makes sense. I see that. I do see that kind of conversation shifting as it gets more and more mature, almost like you saw in the days of access and all that kind of stuff. Like Tyson's amazing thing. Suddenly that person goes away, but now there's revenue tied to it and things like that. Yeah. Guess what I would say is in my own learning to these things, we are in a better place now because access was reliant on that person's desktop and maybe some kind of runtime that you installed in everyone's <laughs> desktop. At least now it's on a centralized SaaS based platform with backup by default, DR by default. So you don't necessarily have to worry too much about it going down. Maybe right. the understanding of the issue of the problem is still there. But and it's funny because everything you just said there too, companies knew that, but before COVID, that was a lot harder. Ah, I don't yeah. care. Ah, whatever. Yeah. I want to be sitting on my computer in the office and I'll leave it turned on. It's, 
But after COVID, I, I think that really brought down the barriers, especially for this kind of tooling too, because a lot of the capability was included, again, speaking to Microsoft at least, a lot of the capabilities included in their licensing. And so a lot of organizations, since they had to get the cloud licensing to just get to the cloud for the remote work, they started saying, oh, I get more value out of this. And I think that helps for a lot of additional conversations to say the least, because, okay, what now that I'm here, what else yeah. can I fit? And that's kind of the... Oil hey, I'm already paying for these licenses. What additional value can I extract from it? Exactly, exactly. And that helped where before COVID, certainly that, that was a harder conversation a little bit, or at least it was a slower conversation where now it's, okay, yeah, let's just build it. Let's go. Yeah, I think we've, I think just about anybody that's in a, a technology space has probably seen or can thank COVID for moving up many things on the roadmap, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's sped up the adoption of Teams or Zoom or whatever your conferencing platform of choice may be. Collaboration systems where you can work remotely and in platforms like Power Platform, other things that are out there that kind of serve, serve the same purpose. I'm, I'm curious about some of the gray areas because you, you come from a technologist background, like same here. I came from a development background back in the day. I was like slinging C sharp code and doing all the dot nets and all yeah. the things. And, and now we're moving into the new thing. But in, in my world, what I see is we do have a fair amount of citizen devs and there are people out there that are driving, driving interesting, really interesting solutions on these platforms, but we also are seeing people who are really more in the pro dev category there that are building large scale enterprise applications that are using, in addition, they're using these citizen dev tools to add features and functionality to those. So maybe you talk a little bit about that and like, where does this stuff fit in? Because it does sort of create some interesting little gray areas, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the exciting part about the maturity that we were talking about when I first came, at least to the power platform and OutSystems has been, if you look at some of the tooling out there, I'd say where OutSystems, especially one of the longer kind of standing platforms in the area or in the space, they definitely have a more dev centric kind of approach where, Hey, I want to drop some C sharp code in here. That's where some of those mm -hmm. tools are a little more dev oriented. Power Platform, it's interesting how they came about it because they came at it from the UI first, let people, this is our goal of what we wanted to make it. It's not great. You can't do it with developer pro dev, but you can have someone have an email, go to OneDrive, right? That <laughs> proving that simplicity. But now that it's been more mature, especially six years since Power Apps was really in its beta, the Power FX language, how they're really finally bringing everything together under a almost one single language to do all of this is really interesting because yeah, my LinkedIn feed used to be from the simplest of Power Automate. And now I have people going way above and beyond of integrating React with components that are being brought in and it's all in an automated pipeline through Azure DevOps. All of that three years ago was a pipe dream. It's all brought together. It's okay. Yeah, we have, we have a dev who is a C-sharp guru. He keeps calling us every day and being like, man, I love this. Did you know you could do this? And it's because he's finding that kind of gap easier to transfer now too, especially yeah. where before, like you said, it was have to learn this whole UI Excel meets PowerPoint thing. And now he can actually move over more from what he knows and make it easier for him to adopt too. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's really, so do you see this like, I mean, in the future, like, where does this go? Are we looking at 
a world in the future where the latest enterprise app like starts in the accounting department and then gets built mm -hmm. up by the citizen dev crew. And then now we need some new, more complex features. So we bring in and collaborate with the, with the dev team. And then now we've got this mega app or is, is that where we're going? Like a no boundary sort of a approach to app de development? Yeah, it's. I think that's the exciting part is because where before, like you said, if that accounting app got built and now it has tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of rows of data that it's managing across all these users, the maturity really was a little kind of shaky on the architecture being able to support that a couple of years ago. But now, especially with a more robust kind of data architecture they're doing under the, everything with Dataverse, Again, I'm speaking to Power Platform more, but to speak more generally. Dataverse um, could be SQL, could be Oracle, could exactly. be whatever, really. Exactly. Yeah. And it, I think that is, it's that hybrid kind of harmony, if you will. Again, maybe it's a large vision, but I think that's really it where yeah. someone can spot the opportunity in accounting, build it out, get, to, get some validation around that with very little investment for that matter too. It's not, maybe someone could just, an analyst could build a basic prototype where you'd pay ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars for a prototype that now Joe Schmo in accounting just was able to come up with. And the goal being validation here. So I think it's when you can spot that opportunity, your culture allows that to get some traction, allow him to maybe see that down the line and then that criticality comes in. That is where I think a good group of central IT organized centric individuals should be able to support that kind of idea because it's tied to value, right? That's where the right. source of this is not in Hey, I want to build a million dollar app and I hope it works. It's, hey, right. we've got some traction. I think we have a hundred people using this every day. Maybe we should put some investment. Now let's that. put a little right. bit more into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and that makes total sense. I'm curious if you see like potential for like one of the, one of the coolest things I saw on the power platform was the ability to now <clears throat> take an app that you've developed a power app. And now I can deploy that app as a standalone iOS application or Android application. So now I've, my rudimentary skills, like now I can go publish something to the Apple store or the, the Play store. To me, that's pretty cool. But I'm curious if you see like startup organizations or venture capital back organization, are they going to start building their apps on Power Platform? Are we maybe a ways off from that? Or is that something that may be a real thing at some point in the future? I think that's a great question. I think that's where the space is really maturing, where we are seeing some kind of SaaS slash product oriented as a service, especially offering starting to be based a little bit in the power platform or Dataverse or maybe the underlying graph API certainly has a lot built off of it, but really in this mindset of apps being built around that. I think that's really the next stage. And that's even what we're spending some time investing into is what are these applications that can really be turned around and provided more component oriented wise or things of that sort? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And yeah. I, maybe not the fullest answer to your question. But oh yeah. I'm asking you to predict the future. That's <laughs> but we do even have some partnerships where we've built out the platform and it's in a SaaS oriented fashion and it's all being delivered through the power platform and office 365 licensing and automation of that sort. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in that space. Awesome. Hey, here's a question then, because obviously in professional dev, there's always this kind of life cycle piece, right? The ALM, every dev, QA, UAT, prod. For the longest time, that was the hardest thing to do in the Power Platform, right? Because you couldn't really deploy stuff. 
that's right. obviously changed a lot in the last couple of years. Do you see system developers taking that kind of more developer approach where you, they want to have a dev environment so they can improve things and swap it out and maybe take that kind of availability slots kind of idea where they have a, a dev version and then a production version and then they want to release new features that they swap them out and then and, and yep. things like that. Do you see that kind of thing? happening now are we maturing that way but in a system development yep yeah I, i'm very excited to say yeah at the end of last year and especially this year now we have some apps that are being fully deployed and managed through an alm process and especially as we've tried to bring developers on that's been crucial for us because us three working just hammering at applications knowing really well what we do specifically works great but as you bring developers on as you bring other people on certainly you need to have some of those controls in place but yeah thankfully again i, I could speak to the maturity at least the power platform where the alm process is now mature enough to actually fully support support it's strong enough now to fully support being able to handle that through devops you can have the the approvals on the pull request you can have your different environments set up and we've been yeah like i said we've used that for our clients and then we're using that even for our own internal development where when we got started, we built a lot of power apps ourselves that we're still using just to do all sorts of random things. Yeah, it, it definitely helps a lot to now have that ALM process built and it's it saved me a lot of sleepless nights because of it, so. <laughs> Very cool. I'm, again, uh, just, go ahead, Joe. And I, I guess a, a follow-up question to some of the previous stuff we were talking about, right? Like you can, the, blur, the lines are blurred between the business side moving through to the dev and the IT side, but with so many different technologies, like for data storage, for example, so Dataverse, do you use SharePoint lists? Do you stick it in an Excel file and then access it through that? You must see when you're, when things start out from a business point of view, they go with what they know. They go with Excel. They go, they might go with SharePoint because they've been using it for years or whatever. How do, when, once it grows to the point of exceeding their limitations, do you rely on the community to advise them to set the expectation? Is there, do you, do you as a company get in and try to get ahead of it to advise this is the point that there's going to come a point where it's going to get too big for its current stack and you need to move it? Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think that's part of, especially early on, really trying to see because on the smaller side, there's still, it's funny, we have plenty of clients out there that are still sitting on Lotus Notes database for that exact reason you said. They know what they know, and I've already built a hundred Lotus Notes. You cannot kill it. You cannot kill it. <laughs> cannot kill it. I uh, believe people say the same thing about SharePoint as well. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh I, yeah. I've seen people build million record row applications in SharePoint and be like, no, it's fine. It can hold 30 million, it says. So that's right. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's where the Excel file transition I th or even story is probably one of the most common stories of it where, hey, we have this Excel file that I need to create a template of and share it out with all the engineers. And then if I update it, they're overwriting the existing one. I think for those kind of use cases, you already see people running into that rake and just being like, someone overwrote the template and now we've lost a month of data sort of thing. So I think when you see at least those use cases, those people are just incredibly excited to see, oh wait, you can manage it. Oh wait, security. It's all of these things they didn't have from the Excel story. Now they can have that moving, even if it's just to Excel to SharePoint. That's even, a, a, that's a miracle to a lot of people where we're even like, let's just get it to Dataverse. That that change management is really a key part too, where, yeah. all right, if you have the licensing, let's maybe get you there. Let's help you start to see what this whole low code automation thing is. 
And then once you're ready to what you guys were saying, all right, now the SharePoint app has 100 people and on Excel we had five people and now we could adapt it to 100. That's a very natural conversation for us with some of our clients where as soon as we left, we got these clients and they've stayed with us because it's just this rolling story of let's do another thing, let's do a bigger thing. Let's, well, here's another Excel file that crashed and burned, let's move it now. That's what helps them prioritize that transition because it was already failing and giving them so much headache. The bigger projects, of course, that's if someone's moving to Dynamics 365, that kind of implementation, you start seeing a little more of the traditional process come in. You need to do more discovery, more math validation, more, more upfront work. But I think, again, what really excites the market is these opportunities like Excel files moving, Lotus Notes databases transferring. There's just so much pain points that they're already feeling. <laughs> Uh, and it's some of the things that are out of the box, but they're already giving the opportunity for ALM, for security, for all of these additional things they didn't even know they had. Awesome. The, I'm curious. Oh, I'm just curious if that's an opportunity for some of these central IT functions to now provide some value, right? So you talked about, hey, I've got these like center of excellence, these toolkits, these reports. I can now identify these apps that are being used. I know what they're connecting to. I know, so I can say, hey, I've got this app that's got this connector to Excel that's being used by 200 people. I may want to go talk to that owner and say, hey, buddy, <laughs> what you doing? <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I'm curious if that's how you see this progressing within larger enterprises. Do you see those central IT functions taking that more proactive stance of, hey, we think you might need a little bit of help. Yes. And I think that's where, for your listeners that are part of central IT, I think that's really the opportunity they really need to pay attention to is like, hey, this is almost a chance to offload some of the front heavy work. Let people go out validate their own things first before they come to us. We don't need to, what's your app? What's your, oh, you're just mm -hmm. trying to put emails in your- The, in your the infamous intake process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to get rid of dumb ideas. So let the people go do that. And then, yeah, like you said, Patrick, then start to try and spot them either through the community, through the reporting tools where you can start to see apps just growing on their own. They can have a really nice kind of balance of offsetting some of that heavy lifting and then really targeting the things that are gonna provide a lot of value. And that's been some of our best partnerships where we had a director of IT, an IT manager, seeing that opportunity and saying, all right, let's go through the organization and let's just help some of these people with those random things. They're really involved in seeing what the business is trying to do. And then just line up the small wins and then start working towards those bigger wins as you get more validation going. Makes sense. Otherwise, on the other side of that is the central IT that's fighting it tooth and nail, either because they want to own it and control it, but then it takes four months to do anything. And then the business is just getting frustrated with them. It, they're then starting, that's when that shadow IT starts coming, where then we have a CFO who I'm working with, where he's so sick of IT just saying no for no reason besides someone said no at some point in four years ago. He's, he's just so sick of it because he's, what's the difference between this and this? And they can't come back to it. That's just simply right. their opinion. And that's per perception where, yeah. of risk versus actual risk or, exactly. yeah. Exactly. I guess, speaking of that CFO, right, I'm curious, like, so the one thing that's common, and we've been talking a lot about the Power Platform, Microsoft, because that's where you're focused on, but there are other platforms out there in the marketplace. But, and the commonality is, right, it's a 
you're investing in a platform. So there's a, there's a license cost. There's price to, so if I want to build on this platform, I've got to maintain a license. So in the Microsoft that world, that is in the form of the M365 license, your E3s, your E5s, and you get, and there's slews of custom connectors and premium licensing and this and that. So there's always, you probably feel like your hand, Microsoft's hands in your pocket quite a bit. I'm curious how you, you know, how you have these conversations with business, the business people, right? CFOs, CEOs, VPs of marketing and finance and all these various kind of business functions. Like, how do you help them see the value? Because I know in the past in, in consult in my consulting background, if I ever, if I needed to like push to buy a license to get a project done, then there was going to be a big barrier to that. And yeah. so do you see licensing as a barrier to adoption of these platforms? Are you more focused on the conversations with people that have already made the decision to invest in the licensing? I'm just curious where that balance sits. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier with COVID, I think that helped bring down that barrier to licensing and just the status quo of what licensing means to a business now. And so I think that helped a lot with at least getting earlier or just general adoption of licensing. All right, I'm paying for licensing. But that said, the Office 365 license includes standard connections and those things. If you want to go connect to SAP, if you want to go connect to any of the premium options, that's the next level of licensing, right? Then you're starting to look at the modular. You want to do this premium thing. So it's these licenses now on top of. And so we have a mixed bag, I'd say, where some organizations are just very, all right, want they're very focused on the ROI. And so for mm -hmm. them, that's no sweat. Okay, this is going to bring me this value. I can see the time reduction, the efficiencies I'm going to gain. Sure, let's throw 25, let's get by 25 to 50 licenses for this group. The conversation with groups that aren't on it yet is they almost have to go through the process of still understanding, okay, you're on the cloud now, you're buying licenses. It's a much bigger initiative. And like I said, it's mixed where maybe they're not going to buy, they're not going to jump straight to dataverse licensing to, or I want to build this app immediately because they're not even understanding that they have to pay for licensing for Office 365. It's, it's a lot to still work through with them. So yeah. some are willing to adapt and I think at least for people that are already on Office 365 and starting to invest in applications and they're already familiar with it they're much more willing and understand understanding of what those premium licenses mean or why the next level investment will get you that much more capability opportunity whereas if they're not on the licensing yet it's a much harder barrier just because they're not they're just not understanding how that whole flow is maybe their opex model isn't really understanding how to account for that either so it, yeah. it can be a little bit harder i can see where you can get into some tricky conversations where you're saying like hey i want to do the I want to build the lunch menu application and I want it to be available to everyone in the company. And so I'd like you to invest $25 million into yeah. our platform licensing. <laughs> that conversation probably doesn't go very well. Yeah, that's a dumpster fire way to have it. Yeah. <laughs> they included breakfast and dinner as well. That's yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. I'll send you an email. It's about value. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's probably not your first go-to application for your citizen devs to yeah. show the value for the platform. But. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if they have a flagship idea, that's going to be the thing that cruises through those barriers. And then yeah. why well, I want this so bad on Power Platform and either maybe we help them see why they want it there or they have their own yeah. reason for it. But, but yeah, I, otherwise I, it's a lot slower. 
I've legitimately seen this sort of like first mover like conundrum where you're like, okay, we want to adopt Dataverse and we're going to invest a lot of money into Dataverse, but we want, we want the business groups to pay into that. And so if you say, okay, I'd like to build an application that everyone in the organization can, great, that'll be $25 million or $50,000 or whatever that big number is for you. But it's investing as a first mover because so I'm almost penalized to be the first person on the platform. And so once I buy the licenses, now everybody can take advantage of it. But so it, it, I could see where but that can be very tricky. So if you've got influencing those executives at a more corporate level where, hey, this is where the value is for the whole organization. This is, it's not just about this one app. It's about an ecosystem of apps. Like exactly. I feel like that's where the, really the value of, of the, of these solutions comes into play. Yeah. And that's where, if that director of IT could see that vision and maybe they're, like you said, maybe they haven't bought the licensing yet, but if they can see that opportunity of seeing all those Excel files, knowing they have a farm of Lotus Notes databases that just need to be moved over some point or another, I think that's exactly it. It's, Hey, it's, it's not just this one app. It's this whole change of capability that allows to get a lot more value out of this investment, this next investment. That's been the most successful groups we've partnered with is someone with a vision like that understands that it's not the one, it's everything that else that we can do on top of it that really makes them successful and makes helps us also be successful because then our approach is let's just educate. Let's go out and talk to the businesses. Let's see their pain. It just comes back to one-on-one -on -one consulting. And then we're just aligning the tool to support the pain points we're hearing. And then that's where you start to get that ideation. What if, what, can you do this? Oh, what? and then you see these conversations just start to pick, like pop off like crazy. So yeah. um, light bulbs going yeah, off that's every the, <laughs> the magic, if you will, as soon as yeah. you start to hear that person, maybe silence after a demo, and then one person starts to ask a question and they all light up. It's like, all right, yep. They're thinking, right. <laughs> that's right. Very cool. I recognize that we're getting towards the end of our time. I would, so Storm, how do, you know, first of all, thank you. This has been extremely informative, really interesting. I'd love to talk about this for another two hours, but I don't think our listeners would stick with us for that long. Light, light pieces, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a ton of experience in this. I, I know your partners as well. Really great guys, really both technically as well as business savvy. So how do, you know, if folks want to get a hold of you, how do they reach out? How do they tell us what, just give us, pimp your services, if you will. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah. If you're interested in reaching out to us, you can go to our website, kumopartners.com. I'm on LinkedIn and definitely participate there. I hate all the other social media platforms, but LinkedIn I'll manage and enjoy doing. Otherwise, even if you want to reach out to me directly, storm at kumopartners.com. I'm always interested in talking with individuals, even just having a conversation like this, because I, I think it really behooves all of us, one, to just see what opportunities are out there, what kind of ideas are out there. And I just enjoy nerding out with people. So I, I'm always happy to talk through and see, see what people are doing. Yeah, reach us on our website or reach out directly and happy to continue the conversation. Many thanks for nerding out with us today. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate uh, it. Very much appreciated. I did warn you that we would ask you for some sort of comical reference, fun fact, whatever you would like to tell us. And that, and I saw you sweating a bit during the, the podcast, <laughs> anticipating this moment. So what have you got for us? I might've forgot. So now I'm sweating again, trying uh -oh. to think of it right on the spot, but we'll uh, edit out the awkward silence. 
Yeah, I suppose you can do my, if there's ever a storm trivia, you stole my storm joke around Halle Berry already, but I guess one fun one is I was named after Steven Seagal, his Hard to Kill 1991 movie. Nice. He was Mason Storm in that. Love it. Yep. So I think that's probably my fun fact. My parents fight over who named me. So if they ever hear this, they'll get mad at me for not agreeing I was one or the other. But uh, yeah, yeah. Steven Seagal was uh, my influence. So (laughs) naturally, (laughs) I know karate and Japanese and all that because of him. That is amazing. That is amazing. This is good. This is good to know. (laughs) Uh This this could be a whole nother podcast right here. Storm jokes I've heard over the years. Yeah, I got plenty of them. So yes, <laughs> indeed. But, yeah, thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate being on. I'm yeah, really excited to chat with you. If you ever want to chat again, let me know. Happy to at any time. That's awesome. Thank you, Storm. Really appreciate it. And Giles, send us out. All right. Yeah. So this has been Enterprise Influences. Patrick, Storm, Ooh. me, Giles. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, guys.